With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fulhamish is back for the season by Labbrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. We are your independent voice of Fulham FC and it's going to be a fun podcast today as for once we can reflect on a victory. Uh, Welcome to those of you who only listen when we win. Uh, It's been quite a while. Uh, You know who you are. Uh, And today it's a Sammy James living room special. I'm joined by Nathan Martin. Hello. And Cam Ramsey. Hello. So, uh, it was a good win yesterday. The great escape is on. Could we catch Cardiff and get 18th position all for ourselves? It's a tough battle, but it's definitely, definitely possible. 17th might be out of our grasp, but 18th. Uh, is very much still in shot. Uh, today we are, yeah, as I say, in my living room. We're currently kind of half watching the Liverpool-Chelsea game. So if there are any kind of uh, weird noises, uh, that'll be us half paying attention to what is happening <laughs> on the screen. Uh, let's do some three-word reviews from yesterday's 2-0 win over Everton. Uh, Cam, I've given you the honours today. Well, the honours go to um, Sam Witcher with chewed up toffees, which is uh, obviously pretty apt yeah um let's ca- catch cardiff we've already spoken about that previously um and that, that from and that was actually from bc brown sorry okay you know worries we've got lion after party from the one and only magic mod lion after party i tell you what the refurb in the golden lion is is wonderful. it's it's actually a beautiful place to be at the moment isn't it um, I did like the one from a friend of the pod, Lydia Campbell, who put uh, Championship Champions 2020, <laughs> uh, which, I, which I thought was a very good three reviews. Any more before we uh, start the pod, Cam? Uh, we've got one from uh, Stephen at Aldo1702, which is about bloody time. Well, You're right, Stephen, it is. Yeah, well, it's our first <laughs> win since January, uh, and it's nice to do a podcast reflecting on three points. Uh, as opposed to the defeat after the defeat that we've uh, been used to, certainly uh, in this calendar year. Just to say this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. And if you haven't joined the Fulhamish WhatsApp group, uh, we've already got four figures of people in the Fulhamish WhatsApp these days. Uh, you get Fulhamish WhatsApp updates sent straight to your phone. It's completely free of charge. Um, a lot of people really seem to like it. So if you'd like to join the WhatsApp group, uh, there is a link in the bio of our Twitter and also on our Instagram. Uh, Nath, I'll start with you. Just so nice, isn't it, to come away from Craven Cottage. The sun was shining. We may be relegated, but I just forgot what it's like to get three points in a oh, game of football. Was, it was very funny. We uh, walked out with Mr. Mr. Ben Jarman and ran into David Preston and and our and, and our wonderful designer AF. And uh, 
all of us just sort of felt the same thing. It just felt like a nice day out at the park. It felt relaxed. I think Ben was listening to Five Live by himself for most of the game, just sort of sitting there watching AF was watching Ian Holloway fall asleep behind him. And all of us just felt relaxed. We were like, man, we forgot that football could feel like this. And then I went home last night and watched Match of the Day, which I haven't watched Match of the Day for about uh, two or three months. And I, I kind of wonder how many Fulham fans are in that camp because the people who sit behind me, we were talking about that, we said, all of us have just stopped watching. It's just too painful. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can see to a point how Fulham fans uh, behave after losses and wins because you should see our stats. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite remarkable. I mean, Cam, to me yesterday, um, Fulham just started really strongly and and looked dominant from the very first minute. It, it just had that feeling of today we're going to get a nice, comfortable win. There was at no point where I was where I was concerned at all, and and I just haven't said that all season. <laughs> no, and it's strange to actually admit that, but Scotty's whites came out the uh, blocks charging and firing on all cylinders. And the one thing that struck me is genuinely positive is the fact that we kept our core shape and determination throughout the entirety of the 90 minutes um, there wasn't an instance in the game even where I thought that we, we were going to be waning or um, we were inviting too much unneeded pressure onto ourselves we just looked so cool calm and collected and I've never ever uttered those words in a uh, you know in a sentence with Fulham in the Premier League this season so that is really relieving uh, looking at the lineup, Nath uh, Scotty's kind of been Flicking between having a back four and a back five, uh, mostly dependent on the on the opposition, and and that's one good thing. You know, I can understand when Scotty has to make um, decisions that us as, as fans don't like because he's trying to counteract Man City or Liverpool or Chelsea. But what I think has annoyed us several times this season is when we faced. Uh, well, when we faced Huddersfield and and, and Claudio Ranieri uh, played a back five for that. And there's been numerous times this season where we've played really, really defensive formations against teams that I'd expect Fulham to dominate at home. But yesterday, he went with the 4-3-3. He went with Cesc, Babel and Mitro as the three up top. And it's definitely, you know, when it when it's clicking, it's definitely our best shape. Yeah, and also I think what's we've talked about this yesterday, but it's been just you know wonderful to see Angisa sort of grow into the into the team, grow into the side, and you you have to give a lot of credit to that to Scott and and the coaching staff because when he came off the pitch, he's just full of confidence. There's just a lot of like positivity, and watching him paired with Kearney, it's perfect because he gives a bit of strength in the midfield. He picks it up, carries it, and he lets Tom do what Tom does really well, which is pass and move. And and and, and to be fair to Tom, you know he he had a stick under him as well. He was really moving going into challenges and and so it's just nice to see he got the shape right got the formation right and the players had obviously been coached very well they were they were ready for the day and you know and they they just neutralized a decent Everton team that has just had beaten Chelsea and, and Arsenal in the last two matches. Well, you look at the last three games. Yeah, they beat Chelsea and Arsenal um, and they went away to West Ham, which is, okay, West Ham are a bit of a, a funny side this year, but still to go down to the London Stadium and get a really convincing 2-0 win. So they came here in, in very, very good form. And, we, and they didn't have any injuries or anything. It was, it was no. an unchanged side from what yeah. they were coming out. And they, we just made them look fairly ordinary. Do you think there's any element, Cam, of we played like this because the pressure was off? I've seen a lot of people suggest this. I'm, I'm not so certain it's just that clear cut. 
I'm I'm personally an advocate for that. I believe that now that we're relegated, we know exactly where our fate lies. Um, it really freed up a little bit more of a galvanisation for the boys. They could just go out there and express themselves because um, we know exactly what Fulham you know, is all about. It's about fluidity. It's about playing as a unit. But and we haven't is, seen that. But the thing is, is that we've been relegated, yeah. maybe not mathematically, since the middle of February, since, since really the West Ham and well, Southampton games. And, and that's when I think the pressure actually came off I'd argue that the Chelsea game and, and the Liverpool game and the Man City games they, they didn't have any pressure on them either there so I just think this argument is a little bit we, we played well against Liverpool we played pretty well in that, in that in that game we weren't good against City we were dreadful against City I, I think more of it I mean there is some of the pressure is off but I also think we just kind of have you know Scott's got his 11 that he knows that he can trot out they know how to play together we've had a bit of consistency you know you, you've had players who have kind of come out the same week and week out with the exception of maybe Fosu Mensa, you know, where that position sort of rotates a little bit, you know, they're, they're comfortable with each mm. other. They know each other. And, and, and it was nice to have Mitro back out there as well. Right. Cause he yeah. missed a game or two. So it was, yeah, it's yeah. good to see. I also think it's uh, players playing for either a position at the club or fighting to get themselves a transfer in the summer as well, which is probably something Scott said to them behind closed doors. You know, if we're going to push for it next season, you're going to be part of my plans or, you know, prove to other suitors in Europe or in the Premier League why you deserve to move to them in the summer. I mean, one argument that I'm also hearing when it comes to the lineup, um, my dad, who I go to games with, has been peddling this for a few weeks, is that we shouldn't be playing players that aren't going to be here next season. And I kind of agree and disagree with him because at the end of the day, I would say to him, did you enjoy yesterday? Did you think that it was a good thing that Fulham won a game of football? Okay, now do you think we'd have won that game of football without Callum Chambers? Uh, do you think we'd have won that game of football without Ryan Babble, who, whilst he is a permanent transfer, is very unlikely to be here next season? And and you'd probably have to say the argument is no. So I, I can't, the only one I kind of am questioning is Fosu Mensa because, you know, it's very unlikely Fosu Mensa is going to be here next season. And, and we do have other alternatives at right back. And I don't think that Fosu Mensa is that crucial in order to uh, for, for, for Fulham to be winning football matches. So that's the only one for me where I'm thinking, uh, are, are we right playing him? Do you think that, do you think it, to that point, your dad's point, do you think that's part of the reason Sari's been dropped? I wondered this. I, I, I honestly did, because yeah. there does just seem to be an acceptance that John Mikel Sari isn't here next season and I don't know where that's come from but it just seems to be everything that's being peddled in, in, in the media It's a prime opportunity for him to prove why he should move them really isn't it you yeah. know, I, I mean I keep an eye on transfers quite a lot and I know that you know he's allegedly been touted with a move to Serie A with Napoli and obviously a massive club with a massive reputation and stature he's not going to get anywhere by you know featuring on the bench he's got to prove to um, Scotty on the training field why he's integral to um to fill him at, at the moment, why he should be getting game time, and you know, exactly why Napoli are after him, really. But, but I mean, I'd, I'd say more than anything else, though, regardless of whether he leaves or he, he's going to stay, I think you, no one could look at our formation and say that you'd rather have Sari with paired up with Kearney versus Angisa yeah, because wait, he doesn't fit into it. He doesn't yeah, fit into it entirely. And, and, yeah, it's just such a better line. And that's been one of our problems this season um, is that we have been trying to crowbar good players because we sign them for a lot of money and because they are good players into this team when it just doesn't necessarily work and and I think at the moment we've got more balance in this squad than, than we've had for, for a long time and, and Anguissa um, there was a moment yesterday right at the beginning of the game <laughs> just before kickoff where 
I was saying to my dad and, and a couple other people that um, sit next to us at, at Fulham, I, I was saying, Anguisa's is great. He's going to have a really good performance today and he's going to be absolutely crucial for us next season. <laughs> and this is the thing I think we're going to find with Anguisa is uh, whilst he had a great game yesterday, 15 seconds in, he just had a, a, a free header, middle of the park, not unchallenged by everyone and just inexplicably put it straight out of play. And I was just <laughs> like, commentator's curse completely here. But... Anguissa had a, had a brilliant game once again and he seems to me to have that it's a little bit similar to what I used to think with Dixon Atuhu. Yeah. He has the longest legs and just seems to <laughs> intercept everything. He, he the, the ball just kind of gravitates towards him. You know, I was watching the um I've been really impressed with what Pochettino has done with Sissoko at Spurs and it's you know he's he's kind of groomed him into that Dembele role where he's the stopper in the midfield and, and pick it up and run with it and he won't score but he you know Fulham has needed someone who's big, who's strong, who could shoulder people off the ball and you know, he is big, he is strong, but he's also, he's very smart. He made very intelligent movements. He, he made some really nice passes. And the, and the first goal, which I know we'll come to in a second, all comes because he picks it up and, 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 and in a very difficult position and holds on to it for us. I mean, he nearly scored. I, I thought at one point he was going to score an absolute wonder goal yeah. yesterday. I think he picked the ball up about 30 yards, beat uh, at least one or two men, worked his way into the box, and then it just slightly ran too far for him to actually get a shot off. But I mean, it was going to be almost not quite as Nazard like from uh, from the from Monday night but it was going to be an ins- uh, sensational goal if he got there uh, let's come on to the second half thought Fulham were dominant during the first uh, Fulham came the closest when Mitrovic hit the bar but then uh, straight into the second half within 30 seconds I imagine there was a lot of people that missed the goal because it came so quickly after half time and Giza picks it up then it's wonderful work between Mitrovic and Babel M- Mitrovic just leaves it for Ryan Babel who, who bursts into the box and then Tom Kearney it's it's far from a tap-in there was a lot of work to do wasn't there it was a cool cultured finish and yeah. it was echoes of last season really watching us uh, pop the ball about with such a surety and it just kind of it just summed up the whole entire day for us this is exactly what we were expecting from the Fulham squad this season but it you know it shows up once we're relegated um, for TC to bag his first Premier League gold in, in the way that he did was absolutely emphatic you know in front of the Hammersmith end as well he's been crying out for the opportunity just to uh, reintroduce himself onto this stage well actually interestingly not Tom Kearney's first Premier League goal it was nine years ago wasn't yeah it? he did score for Hull huh. ironically also against Everton so he has also got one but but yeah, nine years since his last Premier League goal and his first one of the season. And that's that's a, that's a weight off his shoulders because I think that's been something that's probably been bugging him all season is that here he was. He was supposed to cut. He, he was scored the winning goal in the playoffs for Fulham. He was supposed to come into the Premier League and really set it alight. And whilst there have been some great performances from Tom Kearney, you know, few and far between because that's how Fulham have performed this season. It is definitely, surely, a weight off his mind to actually get that goal yeah and, and one person who also featured in that in the build-up for that goal who who should be with us next year i'm very excited about if he can stay healthy is joe bryan joe bryan was industrious he popped up in the right places made those, those sort of intelligent runs and you know you do sort of think that we've been able to have him healthy all year we might be a a bit in a better position and the other thing I just thought it was really nice for TC is to obviously with, with the celebration to give a little nod to the missus and the, and the little one that's on the way I thought that was kind of a, a nice touch as well and it was just you know it's the sort of thing that puts a smile on your face if you're a Fulham fan to see our, our boys happy and, and doing what they love well of course there was that interview that the club put out with Tom Kearney after the Watford game it was it was six seven minutes and it was Tom just being really frank and honest and it was actually a wonderful little bit of content and a 
part of me just wishes that sometimes Fulham part these interviews, these extended interviews with players just a little bit more often because it was so interesting to see him being so candid. He'd taken it so personally I, I think that he really feels a weight of responsibility and and you know there's there's always been criticism of his captaincy at Fulham but there was a man owning up to it and taking some responsibility and, and really taking some personal acceptance as to the situation that that's unfolded at Fulham this season I thought I thought it was I thought it was brilliant you want your skipper to be transparent and because he's he's basically the forefront of a club really on the pitch isn't he and uh, you know he's got to address the fans as candidly as you said as possible to um, you know keep it real in a sense yeah. you know you've got to stay connected to the fan base and um, it's positive to um, to hear him say that you know once Scotty Parker came in um, a little bit more of a change in atmosphere um, kind of overtook at the club. There seems to be a little bit more of a galvanisation amongst the amongst the lads. Even though we're relegated, that doesn't matter. We're still one collective and one one unit that's fighting to uh, get back to this stage next year. And, and I was going to say, Sammy, you made the point we we're leaving that. Uh TC had gotten a bit of grief on match of the day after the city game. And, Mm. you know, he obviously had taken a bit of that to heart as well, because even though the goal was very excellent, you saw himself throwing himself into challenges, tracking back, working very hard. And, you know, I have no problem with a player having an off game. I just, you know, with an attitude, you want to see them come back out and say, hey, that that wasn't our game. We're going to do it. And and that's one of the things I I really like about him is that he he doesn't let he doesn't have two bad games in a row in this in that way. And I don't know if some of it is just lip service because they're in the situation and and we'll have to wait and see the proof of the pudding is when it comes to the summer. But there was just some some nice been some nice moments since relegation. There was a great quote from Maxime Lamarchon in the program yesterday where he said, I'm not just going to leave because we've had one bad season you know I care about this club I'm settled here in London and I want to make sure this club gets back to the Premier League and just little quotes like that and also at the end of the game both Mitro and Kearney kind of you know beating the crest um to the fans and and looking really you know Kearney and Mitro both almost like apologetic kind of holding their hands up to, to the fans and Small little moments like that do make me think that they really care. This has really affected them personally and that it's not a given that they're off this summer and and that they are really upset by the situation that has unfolded this season at Fulham. You know, they've got personal questions to answer themselves, haven't they, as professionals? I mean, nobody likes to fail and nobody likes to feel like they've come off second best, especially in the manner of which we have this season. But... You know, you look at someone like Mitrovic, he has such an affinity with the fans and the club itself. And for a player of his calibre, but also his temperament, he needs a lot of stability and he needs to be nurtured and he needs to be looked after in the best sense. And since he's come down to Fulham, you've seen a different man. Yeah. And that can only work well for us. And he also understands that it's not impossible to get out of the championship and why can't we do it straight away next season with, with the core of the lads that we have at the moment. They have such a great understanding connection. Um, you know, it would just it would just seem silly to split it up when you know you have such a great opportunity just to bounce straight back. Yeah, and we'll come on to some of the the contracts and there's some questions in the post bag about um, which players do we think will stay, which players do we think will go. It's it's the kind of hot topic on everyone's lips at the moment, and no one's a hundred percent certain. A one player that nearly always comes over the fans didn't yesterday, and um, he he received a bit of a reaction from the Fulham fans that. Uh, I think it's debatable and it's Sergio Rico. (laughs) Now, 
I have, a, I have a soft spot for him. I like Sergio. So the thing about Sergio Rico is I, I think that a lot of this season hasn't been his fault at all. I think he's a great shot stopper. One thing he does struggle with, though, is is crosses. And, and I think there are lots of keepers that struggle uh, with crosses. You look at someone like Kepper at Chelsea, who is also notoriously bad um, at, at kind of dealing with crosses. And yesterday, there were a couple of moments in the second half where he really flapped at a couple of things and just elected to punch balls that should never... That, that, it was just so obviously, and I'm seeing this from the back of the Hammersmith end, that that isn't the right decision. There was one really bizarre one where all he needed to do was catch it and he, and he punched it out for a corner under absolutely no pressure um, in, in the second half. And it led to the fans kind of sarcastically cheering when he caught the ball and... and Whilst part of me did actually find it relatively amusing, I, I don't know. There were quite a lot of fans also around me, you know, saying, "How is that supporting?" Um, yeah, and your and thoughts? I, I thought it was an interesting so, one. So I don't know if you said this, but you know, does this come back to how he's being coached at the club, the goalkeeper coaching? You know, sometimes players are being told punch the ball in this situation, mm. punch the ball. So you know, and then if, as well, if you have a mistake or two, like he did against Liverpool, sometimes I think there's a mental side of it where you start doubting yourself. And you know, whatever else happens, I, I really actually don't like mocking the, your own keeper, especially when you're like, I think we were one nil up at the time. Mm. You know, he, he's worked hard, and if you go back and watch, he he was very brave to come out against Calvert Lewin. You know, and and took a quite a quite a, a brutal hit in that moment, and and he's he's also been really strong and brave for us this year on some really tough games, and he's been a professional as well. You know, in in some very adverse circumstances. So I you know I I don't know if it's a mental thing, I don't know if it's poor coaching, um, but I I don't think we as Fulham fans do him any favors when we sort of jump on his back in the middle of the game like that. Yeah, it it was an interesting one, and yeah, that was part of my. I think there's so much. You know, there's so much thinking in football these days and, and, and the punching seems so deliberate. You have to wonder if it's an instruction. Well, it just seems ironic, you know, because when he was first instated into the starting lineup, he commanded his box so well and he did actually come to collect, you know, um, long hoisted balls into the box um, competently, you know, as comfortably as possible with two hands and clutch it. It just seems funny that, you know, it seems at the moment it's crept into his game where jabbing at the ball is his only is his only out option. I guess that's where the irony comes from, from the fans, because we know exactly what he brings to um, the penalty area. You know, he's such a... You, you, you listen to the way that he commands and he marshals the defence. He's not a shy person at all. And um, as Nathan said beforehand, the way he was flinging himself at people's feet, you know, an absolute stampede that shows bravery. But it just doesn't seem right, you know, a keeper of his standing and stature to to just needlessly flap at the ball all the time. And I guess that's just where the little bit of uh, camaraderie from the fans came from, that's all. He does just, just by his demeanour, he does just look maybe six inches smaller than when he first came into the team and he was a he, he, whilst he was still conceding goals because we haven't stopped conceding goals all season <laughs> you know he really did add some steel into our back line but that does just seem to have disappeared really that effect and, and I just wonder if you know 30 consecutive games of just picking the ball out of your net more times than you actually make saves just must have an uh, incredible knock to to a keeper's keeper's morale I mean this is a keeper that's won Europa League titles at Sevilla you know he's used to pressures and he's used to strains of the modern professional game but you're 
completely right it questions his professionality you know when he's constantly going over to his own penalty area and picking the ball out of the net constantly flinging it back to the centre circle and it always comes back his way again you yeah. know it seems like a recurring kind of thing for him this season it hasn't always been his fault at all we're not saying that it has been anyway but you're a keeper that's supposed to be safeguarding and you're so agile and everything about your game is uh, scrutinised as well and sadly conceding goals is going to come your way and you're going to get punished for that. Um, let's move on to Ryan Babel. Uh, his second goal was was wonderful uh, and at first he took that outrageous first touch which he kicked it so far in front of himself and I thought what the hell are you doing here and I was adamant that an Everton player was going to get back but at the age of 32 he had the running of Kurt Zuma all day long (laughs) Kurt Zuma was getting absolutely nowhere near and just at the moment you think you've done too much here Ryan you've done too much here it suddenly just pops out of um, his feet. I quite liked the uh, the Fulham Twitter account called uh, called it a dinky dink. A dinky dink. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and he, he just like chipped it over Jordan Pickford. It was a wonderful move. He knew exactly what he was doing. It was the hallmark to me of an experienced player that knows what to do in that situation and and has been there a million times before. I think it was um, Danny Murphy who was he, he was kind of whinging a bit match of the day about our transfers and the things that were made and but I do think he's right is that having someone like Babel if we'd had him from the start of the year he just he, he relieves some of the tension on Mitrovic he opens up the game and we, and he just has that sort of Premier League experience I could not believe just how far out he was I mean Fulham and also to be honest in the Premier League you don't score these sort of goals when you just beat the defense and no one can keep up with you it reminds me of watching which is a funny comparison but Mbappe where he'll just accelerate and move past the players like they're standing still and, and like you said Sammy he took that big first touch I thought Pickford was gonna come out and I think Pickford thought about it but then realized just how quickly Babel was moving and he just and I figured there's no way he's gonna finish this because it's Fulham. We don't yeah. score breakaway goals like yeah. this in the Premier League. And he took it with such confidence. It was just I couldn't believe how easy it was. I didn't actually think he was gonna score it. It just screamed West Ham away for me. You know, with, <laughs> with an on-rushing keeper, you look at him and you sort of think he's not confident in front of the target on one and one whatsoever. But proved me wrong. It was an absolutely divine finish. Yeah. Compare that to uh, we we watched a. Uh, a former member of uh, Fulham's uh, squad who had a wonderful miss in the Turkish league. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Coming, I mean, coming back next season, of course. Yeah. If you haven't <laughs> seen uh, Abubakar Kamara's miss, which was earlier today, uh, it's on the Fulhamish Twitter account. Um, it's, it's one to behold. Obviously, there was quite a lot of um, talk about the Chupo Moting miss, which you may have seen. Uh, it was PSG against Strasbourg, and he, he somehow he basically cleared <laughs> off the line. It's not quite as incredible as that. It's just classic Abubakar Kamara in the fact that it's a brilliant through ball, but he does fantastically to get it round the goalkeeper, uses his pace to then get to the ball. And then in an... It, it's 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 so so stereotypical AK <laughs> is that he tries in a, in front of an empty net to wallop it mm. and just obviously gets it wrong. All he needs to do is is just tamely pass it into the net and and it and it goes in. But classic AK, he rabbit in headlights and he always chooses to thrash it rather than just be a little bit composed over the situation. It, it's quite something. And we got that next season as well. If he's going to feature, you don't know whether he's going to stay or go. But he does the hard bit right. It just uh, it's it's like Fernando Torres against United all yes. those years ago. Actually, it's very very. I think it may have been 
a miss. Was it against United that miss that he took it right? Was he, when he was playing for Chelsea? Was it yeah. against United? I, I think it was United. It's yeah, very very similar to that and how he has gone round the goalkeeper is just slightly off balance and in that situation you almost just need to take a touch and and assert yourself because you can very easily slice it. Um, and that and that's what Kamara did. I don't actually know if his team uh, went on to, to to win the game or not. Uh, <laughs> but that's but that's kind of the point with Babel, right? Is that you know we've seen AK breakthrough and when he you know he would would do tremendously well he's got that speed people couldn't keep up with him but none of us would expect him to go around someone like Pickford or he he would do exactly what he did and just slam it and we need someone with composure and to be fair this is also part of the problem with Mitrovic is Mitrovic just doesn't have that much speed and so he's not going to get through and so we need someone whatever happens next year we need some of that pace up top I personally do not mind a, a Kamara back at Fulham next season in terms of his on the pitch performance I you know, he seems very much a maverick. He seems like um, a divide in the dressing room. We don't exactly know what happened at the training ground, but it, whatever happened, it didn't sound good. So from that point of view, I find it really hard to make a judgment as to whether his character is right to be back at Fulham. I think that has to be down to the club to decide that. And we as fans can really only speculate. But if, if let's say AK was a model pro, which I doubt he is, I would have him back because I think this season Mm. we have just missed the option. We have got nothing else on the bench which can come on. And and, and, because if you basically are are an opposition manager and you've just you're seeing Mitrovic and and you can just say to your defenders, right, if you can just stay on top of Mitrovic, make sure he just doesn't get any joy, then you've pretty much stopped Fulham's only outlet. But what Fulham did have earlier in the season was, oh crap, this absolute nightmare of a um, forward who's built like a brick shithouse and can run the 100 metres in about seven seconds flat yeah. um, can come on and, and offer a different option and Fulham haven't had that since since Kamara's gone and, and, and I wouldn't mind it in the championship I, next season I know lots of people will be listening to this tearing their hair out of me saying those words I agree with that sentiment though we've totally missed his kind of haphazard erraticness on you know on the edge of the box as he hurtles towards offenders like a fridge you know <laughs> being propelled like a comet it's absolutely outstanding but um, we have we have missed his kind of intensity in the in the final thirds yeah for me it's just like what you said Sammy I, I think on the on the pitch we had no problem with him coming back works hard I think he causes would cause championship defenders all sorts of problems but for me it's all about what happens off the pitch and you know I think no, no one would probably know better than Scotty Parker um, whether or not he's someone who can be sort of a brought up to scratch and 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 a good you know model chemistry the championship season we all know it's a long season and so we need players are going to gel work well together and if if you know if the club thinks that he can do that then that's great I'll be the first to cheer him back on the pitch and if not I won't really have a problem with it no well I mean it's certainly uh an interesting time for Fulham at the moment and there's there's not a lot to be excited about on the pitch but but yesterday's just put a little bit of a spring back back in everyone's step and and I'm actually reasonably looking forward to to the last four games because if we can perform at that level I think that Fulham might might record one or two more wins before now between now and the end of the season and that would be lovely do you want to i mean before we wrap it up do you want to talk about the uh the, the stamp that the, yes, that because because yes, I, yeah. I saw mitrovic go down and i heard him scream in my seats in h6 and uh i, I just figured he'd rolled his ankle or something and then um i think it was af p- pulled up the the gif after the game and my 
goodness, that was nasty from Gomez. Yeah, yeah. really, really nasty. I, you would imagine, because he didn't get a yellow card at the time for it, um, that he may receive retrospective action, and, and rightly so. Yeah, it was an absolute horror tackle, you know. if Like we spoke about earlier, I mean, if Joe Bryan didn't actually hit the turf at the same time, then it may, maybe wouldn't have disoriented disorientated the referee but retrospectively completely right you know Andre Gomez definitely deserves some punishment and pretty substantial punishment at that as well yeah because that could have been really really down I mean that's the kind of ta- challenge that can really you know snap ankles very very easily um, it was a bit of a weird ending to the game really because Fulham went 2-0 up there was 20 minutes left and the game was very bitty, but I, I I kind of enjoyed it in a way because well, literally all season, I don't think there's been a game like that. Maybe the Burnley game where we've just been completely comfortable for, for the final 20 minutes and nothing's happening. But there was just tons of injuries everywhere. Fosu Mensah went off injured. Lots of players just constantly down. And, and lots of people seemed quite shocked by the eight minutes added time. But actually, I wasn't that shocked because I, I kept thinking that I've barely seen any football for the past 20 <laughs> minutes. So maybe eight minutes was a couple minutes longer than I was thinking. But all in all, um, it, it was just it was just so nice to watch a game of football where Fulham were comfortable. Because I made this point when I did a, a little reaction video for Twitter. All the wins this season, even oh, even though they've been great, you know, they've been quite they've been quite tense and quite stressful. <laughs> and I think honestly, that Burnley game is the only one where there's been any degree of comfort. And even then, you know, we conceded two goals and Burnley looks quite threatening throughout. But Everton just offered very, very little yesterday. And that was partially our great work, but it was also just Everton being very, very tame. It was kind of weird, though. Like, I was just thinking about it. Like, one one player I really enjoy watching for Everton is Richarlison. And he just went missing. Like, I, 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 yeah, I don't think he did. I don't know what happened, like whether the, his heart just wasn't in or whatever, but he did apps. I mean, and, and this is coming from a side that we have made far lesser players look like messy in comparison yeah. to us. And Richarlison is a very good player and he just went missing. And I, I really don't, don't get it. No. I'm not sure what happened. There was not much bite with him at all. I mean, even someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he had his, a few opportunities, but we kept him so quiet and we, we put a leash on him as well. And, you know, on his day, if he gets in behind a defense, he's so dangerous and he's just so quick, but it just goes down to the whole core organization of the squad and how hard we actually pressed and worked. It's uh, so you're not really surprised that players were, you know, floundering on the floor. That's a lot of fatigue that they've uh, that they've kind of had to battle through in that game because everybody worked their socks off. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we'll see Fasu Mensa for the rest of the season. He's no. just he's had a couple of injuries, and to, to Sammy's point, like I would much rather see someone who's going to be with us next season. Ironically, I, both against Everton, he's picked up injuries. I've always said, you know, going back to the um, Timmy Fasu Mensa point there. I'd love to see someone like Steven Sessegnon just yeah. f- just for maybe a game or two just to get used to the Premier League you, you, you know because we, we could be back here in a couple of years time and he could be a predominant starter for us and it's a great introduction despite the fact he might get run ragged but you don't necessarily know that. I mean, he's an under seventeen World Cup winner. Um, he he supplied he supplied that England squad with some absolutely sublime assists as well. And he's a absolute workhorse and cut from the same cloth. Obviously, as his twin brother. So let's I'm, get him. I'd much rather see him than Harvey Elliott. I'm not really fussed about Harvey Elliott. See, I still think it's, I still think <laughs> the Harvey Elliott is still a little bit too soon. It's nice for him to get that match day experience and be on the bench and actually, you know be in and around a Premier League game mm. but it's a little bit too early Cynically don't always uh, always remember that there may have been other political reasons for putting 
Harley Elliott, Harvey Elliott on the bench. I don't, I don't, I'm purely speculating, but if there's a case, you know, we want Harvey Elliott to sign a new contract or to commit his long-term future yeah. to Fulham and, you know, we put him on the in the match day squad for a few games, uh, maybe even give him a few minutes in a game. Does that convince his agent, his family, that Fulham's the right place to be? So I always take it with a pinch of salt that because it did seem strange for Harvey to get a a place in the match day squad above Matt O'Reilly, Luca yeah. de la Torre, Steven Sessegnon, all of these um, great players, Matthias Kite as well, who's coming through through the ranks. So it was a bit of an odd one, but I'm never anti um, young players at Fulham being given a chance. And, and I think that's been one of the sad things about this season is how um, the development of some of these youngsters hasn't really come through. Hopefully the championship will give them an opportunity to do that. Right, loads more to talk about uh, in the second part of this podcast. We've got a stack full of your questions coming up just after this. Fulhamish has teamed up once again with Beer52 to offer you guys a free crate of craft beer. Just go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and all you need to do is pay the postage and packaging, which is $5.95 and you get a free crate of eight delicious craft beers from all around the world. There's no minimum commitment. You can just buy the free case, try the beers and see what you think. And if it's not for you, you can pause or cancel anytime. So go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and claim your free case today. Hello, I'm Brad Hangelen and you are listening to the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here, live from my living room with Nathan Martin. Hello. And Cam Ramsey. Afternoon. Cam, uh, sorry, Nathan representing uh, Fulham America on uh, on Fulhamish, which is which is always nice for our stateside listeners yeah, to have one of my, their own my Washington. The yeah, I got, got my Washington Nationals hat. And wait, before we move on to the questions, can we please discuss... One of the nastiest turns that my who's finally playing well, but Tim Ree made yesterday where he just absolutely left the Everton player. Just it was it was a beautiful Cruyff turn or whatever and just left him in in, in just, you know, in pieces on the floor. And it was it was nice to see because it's been a rough year for Tim. And, you know, he we, we obviously love him and hope that you know he'll 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 be with the club for a bit longer we love our american representatives so me really come on you know how united um have to have one academy player in their match day squad i think for fulham it's um slightly different we just have to have one american in our match day squad no matter how it's, it's like a rule now it just seems so alien without an american in the squad yeah it you doesn't, know. doesn't feel quite right when we haven't got an american in the team somewhere so that, that's that's very much um the fulhamish mantra that's that's why nathan uh that's is why i get the inclusion much, it's very much part of the squad I did enjoy, I have to say, one of my first uh, player for Fulham that I ever really loved was um, Brian McBride. And mm. you know, when he was and absolutely adored, my favorite tweet that he said yesterday was his daughter just asked Eddie, why do they have an, why do Spurs have an evil penguin on the top of their stadium? He's always pretty good value on Twitter and things. So yeah, the, the American contingent still very much a part of Fulham, thankfully. He's still dream interview territory. I, and, and we've tried to get Brian on the podcast. And, come on, and come we, on, Brian. And we, we haven't managed to find a time to do it. So we are trying to get Brian flipping McBride on the podcast. And one day it will happen. And if, that day, if, if one of you can help make it happen, we will uh, we will make it worth your while. Swag, mm. whatever. Jack Collins will record you a personal video message. Uh, <laughs> it was also very odd, by the way. I was in San Diego this week to see Jack Collins appear on my television yes. on TNT. Uh just really bizarre. I mean, don't don't let him listen to this because it'll go even more to his head. But uh, yeah, good good up for him. Yeah, I, if, I, I'll give Jack's podcast a bit of love. Actually, if you haven't <laughs> checked out Jack 
Ranks other podcast. Uh, it's called BR Football Ranks. It's part of Bleach Report, which is the company he works for. He does it with uh, Dean Jones, who's a fellow Fulham fan who you probably might know, uh, and another football correspondent for them called Sam Tai. And it's more about world football, European football, um, more kind of the high levels of the game. Although Fulham does get the odd mention, never in the most uh, glowing terms. Um, but it's a really, really good podcast. And, and it's certainly taken the football podcast market by absolute storm. So uh, do give it a listen. Um, mostly, I think the most impressive part is Jack's intros. If you his think his patter is really impressive. Yeah. If you think his intros are, or Fulhamish are impressive, he you know he does op it a notch for his paid employers. Um, so uh, we're, do we're, just, we're gonna have to cut the section out because Jack's just gonna, you know, no, he's gonna be he's gonna be he's got the gift of the gab, that lad, hasn't he? Really? Yeah, he's all, he's also a little shit. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that, so let's bring, just balance that out. Yeah, let's let's bring it back down to earth. Um, so what, I'm coming to your questions in just a sec, but one thing I want to discuss with you guys was was an article that came out in the Times um, very shortly after the Watford game where relegation was confirmed. And uh, it's by Alison Rudd. Now, um, the Times often sits behind a paywall. So I think quite often Times articles don't quite get the the shares um, that they sometimes deserve. And I mean, that's the Times' own fault. I'm not, I'm not like pleading misery for the Times. But it was a very interesting article. The, the article headline was called Embarrassing but Club Ready for Championship. And, and I think it's something that really needs to be discussed because the most interesting fact that comes out of this article is basically how whilst the club has been a bit of a shit show on the pitch this season and a lot of our transfers haven't worked out and I think we've discussed the transfer policy at length and, and the and the failings despite spending 118 million pounds this summer the, the failure to recruit um, in defense probably the most criminal in that and, and signing um, players in positions where we didn't really need um, but one very interesting thing about this was the fact that um the club negotiated reduced salary um, deals that would be triggered in the event of any relegation on all incoming players. So Fulham's wage bill this summer will automatically, through relegation, come down from 70 million to 28 million, despite no player outgoings. So we could keep exactly the same squad next season and 28 million would be our reported wage bill, which is genuinely phenomenal work and when you consider the length of contracts that some of these players are on um so so Kearney uh is contracted till 2023 uh Mitrovic contracted until 2022 and Gisa contracted till 2022 I think John Mikel Serious till 2021 lots of these players on very long-term deals uh Mawson I think is in the 2022 club if I'm not mistaken uh, and I actually just want to give a bit of credit to the club for once because, look, we've been the first people to criticise the club this season when you organise a protest. Um, uh, I think that we could definitely fall within that category. But I, I think it's really interesting how the club have actually been fairly savvy here. And, and whilst I'm sure the club weren't planning for a relegation, unlike maybe how Cardiff's approach was definitely we're going to see if we stay up this season and not spend too much in the case that we go down it seems to be really really smart business in in that sense and I just wanted to get your opinions on on this revelation that Fulham actually have planned reasonably sensibly um in the in the event of relegation yeah and I I'm actually a little bit I get a little bit heated about this a little bit angry about some of the criticism of, of the cons in particular, um, 
you know, they, they've made mistakes. They, they'll sometimes put themselves out there, but I've got no time for, for people going out after them because they've put a lot of their heart, their soul into the company and they have made intelligent decisions. And, and this, this contract, my, uh, the guy I share a season ticket with Matt, uh, shared it with me and we were, we were talking about it over um, WhatsApp and, you know, it's, it's very impressive because you only have to look at, you know, a club, like we all watch the Sunderland documentary and, you know, you look at what a poorly run club looks like and what it does, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch where you can't get rid of players and you're paying out for a long um, period of time and so well they had jack broadwell didn't they? exactly was, and, and they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't get him off their way do they still have him on the wage bill maybe uh no, no i think they've got rid of him now but he was on 60k a week wasn't he it's, uh, and it's they had no relegation clause in there and you know you look at other clubs that are just poorly run charlton blackpool you know the list goes on and on and you know i a bit like even so, so, so I mean Charlton and Blackpool is is, 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 is a bit different but like you look at West Brom and then the state that West Brom is in you know if they don't get promotion or even this, Villa even Villa you know Villa yeah. has, has done a really poor they've, they've, they've been rescued a couple times but they've you know just really poorly managed in terms of structure of wages and things yeah exactly and, and I just the thing about the Khans is I think there's been huge huge mistakes and Whilst okay, I don't think there's any room for abuse of, of any sorts um, towards towards the owners. I think that well, I mean, just because I don't think abuse is right to to anyone, barring maybe criminals, you know, <laughs> like I don't think that that can ever be condoned. But I do understand the frustrations uh, of people towards um, our, our footballing structure, and 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 I do believe that um, some actual experience there at the high level um, would would not go amiss and I know I was very upset the way this this summer Tony personally announced transfers I think that was a massive mistake and I think that because of that some of the reaction that he gets on social media has been fueled by his desire to put himself out there personally as well and I, I never ever condone abuse but I just want to kind of give credit where credit's due and I just thought this article was was a real revelation to me and and it seems like there has been some some strategy amongst what for the most part of this season has looked like utter utter chaos you've got to applaud the notion of contingency here because we'd be kidding ourselves if at the beginning of the season we didn't believe that there was a at least a fighting chance we're going to get relegated and in that you have to keep the core collective of the squad together if we're going to prosper as an actual club you know a sustainable club um, you know the fact that those were implemented the contract clauses is extremely shrewd work from you know operators in the club which haven't necessarily hit the glowing heights of what you expect in you know the Premier League game but they've obviously proven that they've got a, a very very clever intelligent business mind and in, in terms of it working well for the club in the future it's a it's an extremely you know promising step and it's something that was integral for me isn't it didn't didn't you didn't tony share that stat about was it 17 of the 20 clubs that go up go down the, the, the next season or, or something along those lines yeah i mean like i did he did i don't exactly know the statistic it was you know a high proportion of team of course we always knew this i, I i'm not 100 sure that that is really relevant it's, it's I mean, just we, it's the way we've played though i mean you can go yeah. down and we've just been you know i, I told ben this yesterday is that I would expect, you know, we, that that look yesterday looked more like we were in the championship. We a bit of fluidity. We worked t- together. Yeah. You know, we caught Everton on a ga- game where they maybe weren't at their best. We've just not looked like that all season. I think if we had played a bit more like that this year and still had gone down, most of us would be a, you know, a little bit irritated. But 
but sort of been like, well, fair play. That's just what happens. You know, I can only think of one club that has spent anywhere near the money we have and performed as badly as we have, and that is Queens Park Rangers, our friends down the road. You know, so <laughs> you know we can talk about stats, and you can and stats can dress all um, lots of uh, lots of things. But um, certainly, I just I thought that was an interesting one to bring up. It neatly brings me on to the first question in the post bag. Uh, the po- uh, all the questions on Fulhamish this season are sponsored by Putney Pies, uh, the finest pies in all. All of the land and uh, you can get 10% off your food bill on match days uh, by quoting the code who ate all the pies uh, when you get your bill and uh, mention that you uh, got the code from Fulhamish as well show us a bit of love uh, and it's always much much appreciated so um, the first question as I said uh, is from Joe Sansom FFC Joe on Twitter and his question is actually got quite a lot of people debating his question off of the question he sent in so I mean if I mean, it's a pretty good sign that it's a decent question. So Joe said, can you each say which of these players you think will stay slash leave? So if you can both give a fairly brief answer to each question, to each player that I bring up. Um, first of all, Tom Kearney. Nathan. Stay. You think he'll stay? Yeah, I, I just don't think he's he hasn't been healthy all year. He hasn't got a, a really good run of form. And I think also he's so integral to our team that, that I think he would just take too much to, and no one would be willing to pay to have him leave Cam stay he's got a little baby on the way why would you want to up sticks and potentially you know disrupt everything about family life when you've got stability at Fulham so you think uh, that's now this is the one I because I, I heard Jack and Ben say this where I don't fully agree yeah I think that with the amount of money that footballers get um, I think that if a dream move came I don't think a baby comes even in uh, comes even into it but what about a dream move? I mean, you, you're potentially living in one of the most affluent areas in England, if not Europe, you know, in the south down here. Um, for comfortability and almost safety, it just seems right that he stays put where he is at the yeah, moment, you I know? D- I just I kind of get the point. I think, you know, maybe if it's like going to Burnley... You yeah, know, then, exactly. then maybe there's a turn, the turn down that. But that's, to, to Sammy's point, that's not a dream move, probably for Tom. I think it's I I think it's yeah. it's unlikely that any club is going to offer enough money to be able to pry him away from Fulham. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And I think there is a motivation from Tom to stay, and and you can see that he does person. I, I think he does really care deeply about the club. But yeah, I think if. He's offered a dream move to I don't know Newcastle. You know, I think he or 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 here's here's a question for you or leads leads go up right? Yeah. Didn't he? I don't he... I don't think you know. There's nice parts to every city, um, and and any millionaire can live very very comfortably <laughs> in any part of the UK. Um, he's not going to Syria. Uh, I think that <laughs> it, he would be absolutely fine, and I don't think that having a baby comes into it for me. So that's uh, my that's my only, that, that's my only caveat is if leads yeah. go up. And Mark and, and Bielsa says, "Come, come play for me." You know, isn't Tom? Tom? Tom's from that area, right? Like originally, he's from Hull, I think. Oh yeah, but he, he's got some connection to the. Well, he was born in Nottingham. He did play for Leeds United as a in their youth academy for about nine years before moving to Hull, uh, and then moved to Blackburn, then moved to Fulham. But yeah, he's from Nottingham. I, I, yeah, so it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that moving up north would be that much of a disaster for him seeing it but yeah anyway we, I, I said I said quickly and, we, and, we, <laughs> and it very much wasn't quickly uh, next one Sessignon I, I don't know I, I kind of think despite the fact that uh, 
yeah, I, I think I th- actually think he'll end up staying. I, I I think unless some club comes in with a ridiculous amount of money, and I also think unless he's going to be gar- given guarantees to give you know. Re- so actually, I think someone like you know Spurs with the way that Pochettino is developing talent, I think, you know, Cess's family would, would support, you know, a move like that. And to be fair, it probably would be a good move for him, but I, I, I'm just not sure that they're going to want to spend that amount of money. But even with Sessegnon's contract ending, um, next year, that means that this summer or well then January is the last opportunity. If Cess mm. doesn't sign a new contract, it's the last opportunity to get any money for him which I think is, is a big that's problem that's a good point it's kind of a stay and a leave for me you know I, he, like Nave said if somebody offers a very very you know lofty figure for him he could well look he could well go but I'd still like the club to maybe try and fashion a, a loan back clause of some sort yeah. to, so if he comes back next season it's you know almost a stay but a leave at the same time he, he might he might end up somewhere like United as well because they're going to be spending some money this year and you know that that's that's not a that wouldn't be a you could you could see like to the point about Kearney if it's a club with a bunch of prestige where it's a chance to go and maybe be part of a positive system then then yeah the part of the thing for me though is with some of his performances in the latter half of the year Will that make clubs think twice or do you think most clubs actually will see the potential more than just three or four months of slightly mediocre performances from Cesc, which I'm argue, which I would argue that they might do. Yeah. The, the only thing that I would, yeah, I, I don't think his performances this year have, have really raised his valuation or anything, but at the same time, the other thing is he's not gotten hurt this year, which is a really important thing. Yeah. You know, you, and he's, and he's also had, now has the experience of going up against some of the best players in the world. And so I think, and, and he's also just kept his head on and off the pitch, which is a big thing for a club. You know, are you going to invest in a player that's going to be a toxic asset and he, he's obviously not that. So, yeah. next one from Joe is Mitrovic. Stay. Really, I, I honestly think, and it's the same kind of notion. But if a club was to actually lodge a huge bid for him, maybe we might cash in on him. But I still believe that he has a massive affinity with the club. And as I've stated earlier in the podcast, for a player of his kind of temperament, he needs that stability and to be nurtured. I, I think he'll probably leave, um, but I mean, I think what, what what the figure that I've seen bandied about is about forty million for him, you know. And if we could get somewhere in that range, you know, thirty five, forty million, I, I think we'd have to take that. Mm. Um, you know, he's been consistent. You just have to think about where he'd end up. Um, you know, maybe one of the newly promoted sides would want to go after him. Um, but yeah, but I, I don't. I, th- th- I don't think. Even though I know there's a lot of money in the Premier League, forty million is a lot of money. I, I think forty million is a lot of money for a newly promoted team. You'd think that Norwich wouldn't necessarily be spending that money on an out-and-out goal scorer when they've got Timu Puki. Um, Leeds United may be looking for someone, but again, I, I don't think Leeds have got forty million to, to no. splash around in the summer. And then I don't know. You don't know out of the playoff clubs, but you. I think jumping to a playoff club is jumping from the um, the frying pan into the fire because you don't know if then that what what happens if they go down you know is full and then where are you then i think for me it's whether one of everton um west ham um crystal palace those teams crying out for a goal scorer are willing to stump up that money but 40 million can buy you a lot of strikers um you know arguably could it 
you know, for someone like Crystal Palace, could 40 million get them back? Why? So I, I do think it will sort of depend on the last few games. I think if Mitrovic, he played well yesterday, he was, you know, bullying, he was doing, because he did have a patch where he, there's also just the real question of, and I think this came up earlier, Cam brought this up, is everyone still remembers Benitez. Everyone remembers how he was at, at Newcastle. And so, you know, I, I think there is that sort of question of if you're going to spend that money, not only do you want the consistency of a goal scorer, but you want someone who's going to be a leader on the pitch. Yeah. Uh, next one. Uh, I think the next three we can be pretty sure of. Yeah. Mawson. He's staying. Yeah, I think he's staying he's as well. He's integral, isn't he, really? And he's hardly also, played he's this season. Hurt. Nobody's going to pay. Yeah, I can't see anyone paying the money that we'll want for, for Mawson. And Gisa. I am praying he stays because I just would love to watch him and and like just have a full season with us see where he develops I think he's one of the most interesting players that we have in our squad right now yeah staying definitely he's got a lot to prove in himself as well with the amount of money we actually spent on him in the summer and uh and you know following up from nathan you know the way he steamrolls his way through midfield it's it's an absolute joy to watch europa league final though to the championship of two years is probably not how he envisaged his career going not at all, but um, it's a slow progression. You know? And I do think that there's certain assurances like, you know, don't underestimate the amount that, you know, a, a, a good relationship with a manager, a good relationship with, you know, he and Scott Parker obviously have a good connection there. And, you know, I think the club might say, give us one year, you know, we'll let's see if we can get back up. And if not, we'll, we'll, we'll find yeah, a good I home imagine for you. that will be the deal for a lot of these players is just give us one year, give us even six months. You know, if we're where Stoke were in January, We'll let you go because we know that you have aspirations higher than this. Uh, the final one is Seri. Leave. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> yeah, I think John Marcel Seri will go as well, which which goes against, I mean, uh, Seri's contract is until 2022. So the, the fact that he's going kind of contradicts what we were saying earlier about, well, these players are on long-term deals. We've negotiated a pay cut, but it doesn't seem to work for Seri and Seri for me is at the age where I think he would kick up a stink in order to leave whereas I don't think any other player in the squad would necessarily but I think Seri would I also don't think he's gonna get enough playing time like we, we were talking about this earlier as I just don't think he fits in the system right now and and, and you know what? look if he leaves at the end of the year we get a reasonable amount of money back we're not gonna get a ridiculous amount but if we get a reasonable amount back I think we can leave with all parties just going hey we gave it a shot didn't work I mean I actually have have a, have a real soft spot for Seri I think he's he's worked hard it's it's not always been great he's had to deal with with the idiocy of Claudio Ranieri um, and, and you know sort of not the most enjoyable situation. So if he, if he leaves good, good on him and hope we hope, hope we can get some good money and hope he ends up in a good place. Yeah, precisely. And, uh, I imagine, well, we probably will make a profit on John McHale's Seri yeah. only because we, um, did a ridiculous deal with Nice where we ended up actually paying way over the odds for Maxime Lamarchon reportedly, and then way under the odds, uh, for John McHale's Seri. So that some sort of, bonus in his contract <laughs> didn't get triggered I'm, i from what i've read there was a bonus in his contract uh, at nice whereas if nice sold him for x amount of money nice would have to pay him this bonus <laughs> so nice kind of offered us a two for one where we paid over the odds for maxime lamarchon paid under the odds for seri which meant that nice didn't have to pay the bonus which meant that fulham saved some money because of course nice it's very much this is alleged by the way I, I read it in a few articles but I would just be curious to see if he'd end up you know you could see him like in the, in the free flowing style of someone like Leeds if they went up 
Um, you know, you could see him going back to mm. France very easily. I think um, I think the Napoli link is very yeah, interesting. That, yeah, yeah, because he would fit into that. He would of. also work. He would have that time in Serie A. He struggled with the pace of the Premier League, and but when he has time and space on the ball, he can really cause problems. And so I think he would work perfectly well, in Serie A. You know, since Jorginho left for Chelsea, there's always been that void at Napoli. It hasn't been really been filled yet, and he's almost the archetypal you know replacement for him you know his his, his distribution ratios are through the roof especially last year in in uh league so i just don't i don't necessarily believe he's uh got it in him to compete in a division like the championship at all um you need a lot of brawn and a lot of metal and a very heightened mentality and he has he has had to battle personal demons and also demons off the pitch but yeah um cash in on him while we can basically uh, this is a really interesting question, not something that I thought about, uh, from Georgina Pottinger. So thank you for your question, Georgina. Um, regardless of squad and manager, will a vacant stand, i.e. the Riverside, um, have a significant impact on our championship journey at home next season? And if so, what can we do to neg- uh, mitigate any negative impact it may have on the atmosphere? So if you're not aware, uh, the Riverside development is due to be happening from the beginning of this summer. And it will mean for, I heard a rumor that it would be up to three years. What I thought it was going to be was that for two years, we will be missing a stand on the side of our pitch. And you've seen it happen at other clubs. Uh, Bristol City, I remember Ashton Gate, uh, were missing uh, a side of a stand um, for a couple of seasons. Watford, for a number of years, kind of had an empty side stand while they developed uh, Vicarage Road. Um, Other clubs like Liverpool managed to retain attendance whilst developing um, their pitches Spurs were missing a corner so it's it's not something that's um, completely brand new but certainly it's going to be a bit weird and I was imagining yesterday was at, when I was at Craven Cottage thinking it's going to be just be a bit odd without the Riverside I don't think that the noise levels are going to be too um, impacted by it but what do you think the impact could be next season of having no Riverside stands no I, I think it could have a, it could have a big impact um, you know we look at someone like Spurs and just any sort of disruption to that um so what we'll see how the club handles it, but I, I think you know, funneling fans into the Putney end, maybe doing a better job of making sure that we don't uh, sell sell to too many away supporters next year would be yeah. important. Um, and I think if we can, you know, if we can fill up the other three, then I I, I think it'll be a minimal impact. Um, but I, I just I genuinely think it'll just depend on you know, are we going to have those nights out where about you know, championship? You have a lot of midweek games. You have a lot of games that just it's it's a little bit harder for people to turn up to and it'll really be incumbent on the fans on whether that there's whether there's an impact of it yeah i mean um cam any any thoughts on the riverside stand i mean well not necessarily i, I believe that most of the core noise and you know the atmosphere usually reverberates from the hammersmith end anyway um so in terms of the atmosphere i can't necessarily see it being too much of a problem um but I think Nathan's right. We need to be making sure that the people that do get into the ground are genuine diehard Fulham fans. Yeah. I have a couple of thoughts on this. I always think, I think it's a shame that there was an initial plan to build the new Riverside stand around the original one. Um, That seems to have um, gone out the window with the new design. And now it's just a case that we're going to demolish it. And we're just going to have to put up with uh, a reduced attendance for, for a couple of years. I think it's a shame that there isn't a way around that, but if there isn't, um, I I think that some sort that there are definitely ways. I think that the kind of emptiness of that stand could be 
mitigated? Could it be some kind of huge mural like banner thing that kind of fills up the empty space a little bit so that we're not just playing in front of a bunch of scaffolding and and skips and cranes so it just maybe looks a little bit more visually appealing i i don't know whether it's actually worth that i don't know how much that kind of thing costs but i wouldn't have thought uh, an awful lot in order to make it just look a, a little bit more attractive you can get some banners <laughs> yeah yeah we've got we've, plenty of those <laughs> yeah, we've got a few in the back back seat of my car um <laughs> But the other thing is, I would love it if it's the revival of the Putney End. I was thinking this. Like, the Putney End for years has been this kind of wasteland of away supporters, uh, a few Fulham fans that couldn't get tickets in other parts of the ground, neutral fans. And, and that's been one of the biggest scandals for me about the whole ticketing price thing this year is that they've decided to make the Putney end one of the most expensive parts of the grounds just to take advantage of those um, extended away supports that want to come and watch their teams. And I would love to see the Putney ends that, that those three blocks nearest to Craven cottage really become a proper home support so that when players come out the tunnel, the, uh, the main thing they hear is um, Fulham fans either side and, and you often notice when you go to away grounds how often some of the most vocal support is next to those away fans. And whilst there is great vocal support in the Hammersmith end, there is nothing kind of challenging the away fans. And I think that that's why a lot of people think that um, Fulham has a terrible atmosphere is because obviously they I, I see away fans kind of giving stick to the people in, in block Z of the Riverside. And I'm like, lads, they're not the people you need to be giving stick to. Yeah. <laughs> like they aren't the people there. Um, there to, to to wind you up and, and and so i would love it if it was a bit of a revival of the putney ends uh, i mean it'd be incredible if the putney end in a, in a few years time is a place where actually it's a little bit more affordable it's easier to get a ticket um younger fans can, can sit there maybe make a bit of noise when i went up to huddersfield the the fans that were actually next to the away support were absolutely fantastic and huddersfield either through fan initiatives or the club themselves had made a, a brilliant effort to make that part of the ground really really vocal and and, and as an away supporter it felt quite intimidating mm. in there it was quite hard for us to make an atmosphere because those bloody huddersfield fans were making an absolute racket and i would love it if something similar could come about at fulham and maybe actually reduce capacity could be the thing to help that i was just gonna say i i think one thing that's really important is is it's not just gonna be on the fans the club is gonna have to take some real steps to incentivize this and also to protect it because i have to say if you're going to be a, a father or a you know family going to a game and you go sit in the putney end and there's and there's a mix with away supporters are sitting next to you i, I never forget being at a brentford game or a full-on brentford where i was sitting in the putney end for some reason and a very large uh, brentford individual uh, chap was sitting next to me and he's just screaming in my face when Brentford score, you know, turns. And it's like, you know, that's, and, and I'm fine. I'm a big guy. It doesn't bother me <laughs> for the most part. Um, but, but I'm just saying that's, that's not really a pleasant experience. It's not really what you want. I mean, you said you, you want to create an intimidating thing, but you want to do that in a way where you feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a home supporter. I don't want to feel like that. I remember the same thing with the Leeds game when um, Kearney scored that absolute beauty. I was in the Putney Inn for that as well. And, you know, I'm the only person that jumps up when that happens because I'm in a bunch of Leeds fans that are there. there. And so the club is going to have to do something to make it cheaper, make it incentivize it, 
but also to to protect it so that the real fans, the Fulham fans, are the ones that are in the ground. I mean, this is an unpopular opinion, but I quite liked it in the Europa League when away fans were in that part of the Johnny Haynes. Yeah, and I, I know, do. and there will be people that sit in that part of the Johnny Haynes that will be going, "Shut up, Sammy!" I quite like it the way <laughs> it is, but I, I, I agree. I mean, you know, watching Hamburg there, especially in the semi-final, they were fantastic support. They were fantastic support, but it was quite limited, and it meant that actually, I don't think that the away support was really allowed to be too impactful on, on the rest and encroach on the rest of the stadium yeah and, sense, and yeah. also a, br- a completely full Putney end and a completely full Hammersmith end kind of singing at each other yeah was was amazing and I, and I do kind of miss that and, and if you wonder why the away fans were there it's because in UEFA competitions this kind of neutral bit that the Premier League um, and, and Football League um, permit wasn't permitted by UEFA so that's why and that and the Johnny Haynes stand was the only part of the ground where Fulham could 100% guarantee that away fans would be completely segregated um, let's move on because there's a few more questions and I realise we've, we've overrun but thank you for that question Georgina um, really really good one um, what did we think of the Fulham fan in uh, California <laughs> who is uh, fighting the fact that they won't let him get a come on you whites um, uh, I, I just on, I, on I, I cracked up about that because I, I have to say I actually think it's kind of funny um because for those of you who don't know, I'm from Mississippi originally, and so uh, we have our own sort of uh, really sad uh, history of uh, racism. And and my mom remembers when the schools were integrated, and so <laughs> I actually do. I remember coming to the ground and actually finding it a little bit funny, a little bit off-putting to to chant "Come on, you whites." <sighs> Sorry, Mo Salah's got an absolute. Oh my goodness! World and he's Litz Creek. Bosh. Bang! Oh my <laughs> gosh! <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh my goodness, that is amazing. Almost um, good as Andre Scherler, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's good, Mo, but it's no Andre Scherler. Um, sorry, Nate, what were you saying about... <laughs> I was just saying, yeah, so so to pick it up, and, and I just said I thought it was funny because I actually cannot be bothered about this sort of thing. And um, like growing up in Mississippi, I actually did find it a little bit off to be like, come on, you whites, when I first came over here. I get the fact that context is everything and it obviously has nothing to do with racism or anything else like that. But I, I just think it it just cracked me up a little bit. A um, couple of similar questions here. Uh, one is from Alan Hill, which um, will uh, just get a one word answer. Will we come straight back up? Yeah. Nathan? No. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, sport, sport. Um, then moving on uh, to Matthew Gold and said, is there any chance that the starting 11 from Saturday starts in the championship? Well, we kind of half answered that. Um, where would it finish if it was our first team? So if you took Saturday's complete yeah. team, we know that it's not 100% possible to happen because people like Chambers, Babel won't be staying. Where do you think that finishes in the championship this season? I think it's. I think given the fairly poor quality of the teams from about third down I think it finishes in the playoffs comfortably yeah yeah I completely agree I think if you if we could keep that lineup and go into the championship they would steamroll mm. a lot of the competitions particularly particularly like let's not underestimate an entire season of Mitrovic in the championship I mean he would just batter a lot of those teams and yeah I think I think Mitrovic with a full season in the championship given that Timu Puki and I'm not denying that Timu Puki is not a good player but Mitrovic is 
three times the player and shoulders yeah. and he's had 27 goals this season i think mitrovic is a 30 goal striker of a full season uh in the championship and a little bit of confidence so yeah i'd definitely say top six um couple of questions uh <laughs> This one's from uh, Harris, hashtag stop the greed in his, uh, in his uh, name. What inflatables are you bringing to Bournemouth? I'm absolutely gutted, honestly, because monetary problems recently, I've had to shell out for a lot of unneeded things. I can't actually go to Bournemouth anymore. Ah. But I was getting a really, really awful shirt ready as well. I was, you know, a sombrero of some sort. I saw on Twitter actually somebody's got an inflatable Jesus of some sort, maybe. <laughs> inflatable Jesus. Yeah, yeah, which would to, be to save us from isn't that a Depeche Mode song? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're an inflatable Jesus. Inflatable Jesus. Um, I saw Mister uh, Mister Jeff Pruce was already getting his uh, beach shirts out on the on the Instagram, and so you know I know he's preparing. I got I've got I'm going to travel for work, so I'm going to miss it unfortunately. So. I am trying that work. I have a giraffe amingo. It's a combination. It's an inflatable <laughs> um, giraffe slash flamingo. Did you steal this from the England what training the hell ground? What does that look like? It looks quite cool. It's more of a pool thing, pool thing, really. But um, I just know there's a couple going at work, so I'm going to try and uh, head in the cupboard on Friday and bring the giraffe flamingo to uh, to the Vitality Stadium. We'll uh, we'll see if it happens or not. Could it be another kind of like Liverpool Sunderland uh, fiasco where an inflatable goes on the pitch and the oh goal's reflected in? Can you imagine if Fulham conceded the goal because the giraffe Mingo got in the way? <laughs> oh, you have to be... shut the podcast down. Immediately. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think uh, that would be the end of my uh, Fulhamish career for sure. Uh, that's pretty much it for for the questions today. Um, oh, Brian also asked uh, just as a quick uh, ending one: uh, Where are you lads going on holiday this summer? Hmm. Well, I've already been to Thailand, so I'm probably go to some grotty, all-inclusive in probably Spain, to tell you the truth. Just get absolutely lashed after what's been a terrible season, all in all. Nathan, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the states for a bit to see my family. My little brother's graduating, and uh, I think I'm I've got a friend over in Jordan this summer, and so I think I'm gonna go to Amman. Wow, wow, that's exotic. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, just uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays. We'll how it plays out. Uh, I've got a ton of holiday I need to take, so uh, we'll see where I end up. What about you, Sammy? I am. Um, I think my only trip this summer is uh, one of my girlfriend's friends are getting married in the Dordogne, so I'm heading out to a chateau in France for a few days. It's not quite Benny Dorm, really, is it? No, it's not. But uh, <laughs> it's very, it's very me. Uh, I think, I think one would argue. So, um, can we also give a shout out to Dom, who is uh, who's on his own uh, ho- holiday, just absolutely absolutely lad tour in hong kong this yeah week. the guy smashed at the time but he's double smashed now <laughs> yeah the, the fulhamish whatsapp is just a daily reminder uh, of dom um it's basically him in different parts of hong kong wearing various bits of fulham clobber, clobber or yeah. just or just pure union jack like yeah, yeah. Oh, well, the, 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 the bucket hat is a staple of dom yeah exactly. well um thank you very much for listening to the podcast today bit of a bumper longer episode than normal but given the fact that um, Fulham have only won once this calendar year uh, we thought it was nice just to do a little bit of an extended episode um, we've decided for the rest of the season that we're not going to be doing Fulhamish extras uh, I'm very much of the mantra make hay while the sun shines and you know when we were getting promoted last season uh, we did lots of extra podcasts um, but I just think it's a bit churlish um, to do big previews of games which literally mean nothing uh, not that they're not important or anything like 
like that. But um, we're just going to be doing the one podcast a week, really, for the rest of the season. So um, I'm very sorry if that disappoints your podcast listening <laughs> schedule. Um, make sure you check out Jack's podcast if you're looking for a little bit of a fix uh, in light of this news. Um, and as I say, I'm sure next season when the championship is back up and underway, we'll be back to doing two podcasts a week. But yeah, just for the last few weeks of the season, we're just not going to be doing extras. So uh, the next podcast will be released on Easter Monday, which is after the Bournemouth game. So that will be the next Fulhamish fix. We'll be uh, reacting to everything that goes down at the Vitality Stadium. And most importantly, which inflatable was the best? We'll be reviewing the different <laughs> inflatables uh, that are brought down to the Vitality Stadium. So I uh, just want to name the podcast before we finish. Uh, and I've passed that responsibility as he did the three word reviews uh, to 94 Camram over here. Uh, what are you going for? Well, he's featured earlier in the show for some absolutely fantastic tweets, but it's got to go to Sam Witcher again for Scotty's Toffee Drubbin. Yes, Sam Witcher, you have named today's podcast Scotty's Toffee Drubbin. Uh, is the name of the episode good work there so as i say we'll be back on easter monday uh, all that le- is left for me to say is thank you to nathan martin come on you whites and thanks camram up the fulham see you later come on you whites